This episode is brought to you by Accenture. A better you starts with better hydration. Accenture is on a mission to inspire people to do what matters most. Their proprietary ionization process transforms water from any source into ionized alkaline water, providing water that's 99.9% pure with a pH of 9.5 or higher. Essentia Overachieving H2O, the number one ionized alkaline water. Shop now. Hello and welcome to Instant Genius, a bite-sized masterclass in podcast form. Each week, you'll hear world-leading experts talking about the most fascinating ideas in science and technology today. I'm Thomas Ling, staff writer at BBC Science Focus magazine. Now, chances are in the past few days, you've procrastinated at some point. But why does procrastination happen in the first place? And what can you do about it? Today, those are the questions I'm pursuing to Dr. Fusha Zaroy. She's a well-being and procrastination researcher from the University of Sheffield. Hello, Fusha. Welcome to Instant Genius. Hi, Thomas. Thanks for inviting me. So... When it comes to procrastination, I think most people assume it's a problem with time management, but I understand you don't quite see it that way. No, um, I don't see it that way because the research doesn't actually support that myth. I think I think the issue is, you know, we see somebody who's procrastinating and if we observe their behavior, we see them, you know, putting things off to the last minute, right? They've got all this time and they don't do anything. And there they are like, you know, 48 hours or 24 hours before they're done and they're rushing to get, get things done. And, you know, on the surface, it might be easy to assume that, well, this is just somebody who didn't manage their time properly, because why else would somebody be doing something at the last minute, right? Um, but in fact, uh, research that has looked at procrastination and some of its ca- you know causes um, has confirmed that it has very little to do with poor time management. Um, what it actually ha- does have to do with is poor mood management. So what exactly do you mean by mood management? So uh, what we mean by mood management is that um, basically people who procrastinate are procrastinating as a way of managing their mood, of managing the emotions and especially the negative emotions they have around a task, right? So we don't procrastinate on things that are fun or exciting. We procrastinate on things that we find aversive, that induce negative emotional states within us. Everything from something that's boring all the way up to something that's really outright, you know, heart throbbing, stressful and anxiety provoking. and um, as when we talk about procrastination as a mood management strategy, it really is sort of a way of coping with those negative emotions. Um, most of us will get on with the task. We'll find a mean to regulate our mood around the negative task that we're having to deal with. Um, and that could be because we might look at the task differently um, and see it in a better light. Um, but also that task may bring up feelings about our own insecurities that can make us feel uncomfortable or or feel challenged. Um, And we might find a way to reframe those or to manage those feelings. But if you're someone who's prone to procrastination, um, you have difficulty managing the, the mood around that negative task. So what do you do? You take the task, you put it aside, and there, instantaneously, now you feel better. You've just managed your mood, right? But not in the best way because you're still going to have all those negative feelings about that task and any insecurities it creates in you, you know, once you're reminded that you're you're behind the deadlines coming up and you have to work on it. So that's what we say it's about poor mood management. And how does a sort of cycle of procrastination or chronic procrastination arise then? 
it's it can be quite a vicious um, cycle, you know, because it, it feed, there's a few things that feed in. So you might start off not engaging in a task. Maybe you got a report to write for your boss, um, your manager, and you are not sure what they want. You're worried that this, you know, your future promotion and career might ride on this. How good this report is. Um, you're unclear about exactly what they want from you, so you've got some anxiety and uncertainty around that. Um, and you're just you've got some self doubts about your 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 you know your ability to write good reports, all these sorts of negative feelings, then you put off the task. But then what we know from the research is too, is that when people put off the task, they feel that a momentary sort of boost and shift and from a negative mood to a less negative mood, you know, whether it's neutral or if they're doing something fun, they might feel better for momentarily. But once that's gone, then the task remains. And then that's when the guilt kicks in. Right, because one of the things we know is that um, people who procrastinate, and when we procrastinate, we feel guilty about it, and we might even feel ashamed too, especially if it's something that somebody else might be keeping uh, track of us for. You know, we have these social norms around productivity, right? Like it's good to be productive. You'll see it in all the blogs out there, all these productivity hacks, right? How to get things done. It's like the you know, whole thing. We've all got to be productive to be good people in society, and so these unspoken norms are there. And if you're a procrastinator, and you've put off something, you're not being productive, right? So how are you going to feel? You're not just going to feel guilty you didn't get things done. You're going to feel ashamed. You're going to be embarrassed. You're not going to want to tell anybody that you're, that you're procrastinating. And so those negative feelings from the guilt and the shame now pile onto a task that you already felt bad about. And what is it going to do? Is that going to make you want to get on with it? No, it's going to make you want to run away from it again, right? <laughs> and so you can get caught in that cycle. And, and then we know that you can remember past procrastination too. So you go to start another, next time you have to write a report, you remember the last time you procrastinated, you start feeling bad again, right? And so this can continue and maintain a a habit or a cycle of procrastination quite easily, especially for people who are prone to uh, managing their their negative moods around a task by, by, you know, disengaging from, from that task. Is it true that one of the reasons why people might procrastinate is a kind of failure to imagine how their future self is going to feel it's i I wouldn't i'd say it's a contributing factor it definitely plays into it so we know that um you know there's a temporal aspect to procrastination right so right from the get-go when you procrastinate you're, you're making a decision you have a temporal dilemma right do i put the mood of my present self above what my future self is going to experience if i put this task off and it's going to be the stress of that and so what we say happens is that you favor that immediate move because it's more real to you. You're feeling bad now. That's more real to you than how bad your future self is going to feel when they're running up against a deadline and stressed out of their mind, right? And so there is that that disconnect from that future self at play when we procrastinate because it's our future self is very abstract, right? Other researchers have uh, actually looked at the areas of the brain that are activated when people think about their future selves. Um, and one of the kind of general findings from that research is that they, if they show, you know, get, ask people to think about their, say, six month future self, and then ask them to think about, you know, a movie star, you know, somebody that you, you kind of just know abstractly, right? So, you know, Emma Stone or Brad Pitt or somebody like that, right? Um, the, the brain lights up the same way. Right. So the areas of the brain that are activated are the same way. In other words, that future self is no more familiar to you than these distant movie stars that are just sort of these abstract figures out there. Um, but what they do show, though, is too, is that for those individuals, and there are some individuals that have an easier time of connecting and feeling close to their future selves, 
as they see those future selves as being more tangible, more real, um, there is a different um, activation pattern um, when they look at the functional magnetic uh, resonance imaging scans uh, of activation that shows that it's more like a friend or a close family member. So there's something very real going on in the way we think about our future selves. Um, And if you're someone who's prone to procrastination, you are going to be tempted to see that future self as being more like a, a distant stranger, which then leads into actually thinking about, well, if that, that, that future self is distant and abstract, well, maybe they can be better than I am right now. So, you know, how many times we do something, we say, well, I'm, I'm just too tired to write the report, or I've, I've got writer's block, or, you know, I'll, I'll have better ideas tomorrow. Future me will be, you know, have much more willpower, much more self-discipline, be in a much healthier state. Future me is going to be all these wonderful things that I can't be right now. And it's really easy to make those kinds of conclude, draw those sorts of conclusions if we think of future self as being something abstract. And we, we make them, you know, a future you to be out like, a superhero, right? It's going to just t- save the day and do all these things that we can't do right now. But the fact of the matter is, if that future you is a week from now, right? Um, that future you a week from now, and now there's not going to be that much change. You're not suddenly going to have all this inspiration or willpower or any of those things that you feel that you're lacking right now to get on with your task. So if we can get caught in that trap of sort of, um, you know, making our future self our beast of burden, really, and just passing along all the things that we can't do right now. You sort of mentioned a few times about people being more prone to procrastination. Uh, what makes somebody more prone to procrastination? Is it genetics? or I think there's a variety of different factors. There, there has been some very interesting um, behavioral genetics research, um, you know, looking at twins um, raised together and apart and their propensity for procrastination. And what that research suggests is at least at what they call the phenotypic level, which is at the behavioral level. So what we see is the expression of the genes, um, that there is, uh, some, by some estimates, 46% heritability of this tendency to procrastinate, <laughs> which sounds like a lot, but actually I think a lot of, if you think of procrastination as a tendency or as a trait, I mean, this is, it's similar to a lot of other traits that are out there as well too. And, and of course we know that procrastination is linked to some of these big five factor traits, like low levels of conscientiousness and high levels of neuroticism, for example. Um, so it's, it sounds like a big number, but a lot of traits have that type of phenotypical, um, you know, underpinning inter- at the genetic level. It doesn't mean that you're, that's it, it's in my genes, right? It's not an excuse, right? It just, you know, it just means that there's some of the ingredients that go into procrastinating, such as difficulties in emotion regulation, for example. Um, And then you have that difficulty in emotion regulation. And if you add in a dash of impulsivity, you're, you know, you're going to impulsively take the easiest route, to manage those emotions and then disengage. That's where the impulsivity piece comes in. But it's it's a, it's a difficulty with the, the emotion regulation first and, and self-control and, and these types of things. So there's a lot of different factors that come into play, but these are also things that, that people can you know, work on though too. Like there's things you can set up in your environment to, to help reduce those tendencies that might be be there. Um, and there's, you know, it's, it is really just about learning a new set of habits in many ways. What are the health drawbacks of chronic procrastination so that's a an area that um i'm quite familiar with that's something i've been studying for over 20 years and um it seems when i tell people that procrastination can be bad for your health they often kind of look at me a bit strange like really 
it's just not being very productive, right? You're just not getting your stuff done. But um, I mean, there's a lot of correlates to go along with it, especially if we get back to this this sort of um, you know mood regulation view of procrastination. So if you're not managing your mood and your emotions and the stress around that, and you're feeling guilty and you're feeling stressed because you're running up against you know uh, deadlines, so certainly we know what the health effects of are of stress, and especially if this is a pattern. Now that's chronic stress, right? So that can certainly um, create some issues. And so some of the early research that, that, um, that was done and that I, I did as well too, um, found that for example, in student procrastinators, they had higher levels of stress. Um, they also tended to report, uh, a lot more sort of acute health problems that you would expect to see related to stress, right? So headaches, um, flus and colds, or which are a sign of a suppressed immune system, which of course comes from being exposed to stressors, even muscle aches and strains, you know, tensions in the body and that type of thing. Um, but um, also, we also looked at that time at health behaviors too, because if you're putting off things that are unpleasant, well, you know, going to the gym or, you know, getting out there and exercising or giving up your sweets or your crisps are going to be unpleasant for some people. So these are the sorts of things that you might be prone to um, avoid doing too, and therefore not follow through on your health behaviors. And that's that. So over the years, we found consistent evidence that people prone to procrastination have higher levels of stress. They have more acute health problems um, and they, they put off important health behaviors. And this didn't, in our, our early studies, it didn't make a big difference for the students. But what we found is when we started looking at adults around middle age or so, those of, in one particular study, we found that those who were prone to poor heart health, um, so they had hypertension or a diagnosis of cardiovascular disease, actually scored higher on the scale measuring chronic procrastination compared to healthy controls, um, which suggests that you know, years of stress and putting off health behaviors might have contributed because we know that stress and health behaviors are two contributors to um, the development of poor heart health. And and in this analysis, I controlled for pretty much everything else. I even controlled for big five factors that are known to predict, um, you know, the occurrence and development of heart disease and actually having a propensity to uh, procrastinate or sort of trait procrastination was the strongest personality predictor of poor heart health in this particular sample. And we compared, I think it was 182 people with poor heart health to a sample of 500 healthy controls. I guess that makes the next question very important. And it's probably a question that people really want to know the answer to. Uh, How do I stop procrastinating? To say if someone was listening to this podcast right now, instead of doing their work, uh, what should they do? There's a few things you can do. First of all, and it sounds kind of counterintuitive, is don't be hard on yourself. <laughs> and people they say, what? What? You should be hard on yourself, right? Dude, this is terrible. You're procrastinating. And again, that goes back to those social norms I mentioned, right? So we naturally, procrastinators feel bad. They feel bad when they procrastinate. And, and we all we just naturally do. We know we're we're we we have not been, you know, followed through on our commitments and we know the impact it can have. Um, but don't add to those negative feelings by beating yourself up about it. So, um, you know, try to be sort of forgiving and understanding and compassionate. That's the first thing that you have to do, because the, the more you kind of crack the whip on yourself about it, you'll actually, it'll, it can work against you, especially if you are um, someone who's more prone to procrastination. Um, so the key there really is, is, first of all, not adding to those negative feelings anymore that than what you already have, because that's what drives the procrastination in the first place. So you don't want to do that. Um, 
But you also want to shift those feelings too, right? Shift them to something that's positive and, and potentially to something that's meaningful. So even if it's a really boring task or a task you're really fearful of because you're, you're worried about what you know, other people are going to think and say, you know, or maybe you won't be able to get it just right, right? Because we know perfectionism plays into procrastination, right? Um, then, you know, take that task and see, is there something meaningful? Is there something positive? Like, what does this task this boring or this, you know, really unpleasant task mean in the larger scheme of things in terms of my goals and the things that I want to do. And that can be enough to generate positive feelings and actually get you to stop procrastinating. And one of my, my PhD students, CC Yang, she actually ran a study to test this idea. She ran a really nice experiment and um, she gave, she had three different groups, had a control condition where, you know, they all had goals that they were working on that, you know, were, um, that over the next couple of days they had to make some progress with. And she, in the one group, she asked them to just think some happy thoughts about the goal, you know, just some positive thoughts about it. Um, in the control group, it was just writing some facts down about the goal, nothing, you know, to get any emotion involved. But in the meaning making group, she asked them to think about something that was meaningful and then finish the sentence. So, this task is meaningful for my larger goals because, you know, these sorts of statements. So she had them complete these statements that were sort of directing them to, to think a little bit about the meaningfulness of that task. And then she got them to check in with her a couple of days later and they actually had to record you know, sort of in, in time block intervals, what they were doing in that time and whether or not they were procrastinating and added that all up. And what she found was that those who use the meaning making sort of way of looking at their task and trying to find something more meaningful, procrastinated significantly less. They, 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 you know, everyone puts off a little bit of time anyways when they're working on something, but they, it was a huge drop in the amount of time that they, they spent procrastinating compared to um, the control group and even to the, you know, the positive group too. Do you need to make a task just meaningful for yourself or just thinking about other people help? It can be for other people too. So for, for example, if you hate buying gifts, you know, you know, you hate going out and shopping and buying gifts for people because you're worried it's not going to be the right thing and all that sort of thing. You know, you might never enjoy going out shopping or buying gifts. But if you think about the other person and the smile it might put on their face, you see, then that can be enough to bring that positive thing in. Now you're focusing on something positive with the task. And I think that's really the shift is just reframing that task and reappraising it in a way where you're not focused on the negative um, that and those negative feelings that are evoking it, but but looking at it in terms of the meaning um, and seeing the broader implications of that, and that appears to at least from our from our evidence to to make a difference um, in in whether or not someone's going to procrastinate on that task or the extent to which they will. Do you have any other kind of practical uh, tips to help procrastinator? So I think there's a couple of different things. I think uh, we, we talked about the future self there. Um, I you know there's been some some research to suggest too that you know, imagining your future self as somebody that's real, right? So if you've got a deadline in a week and you feel like you're about to procrastinate on, on getting on with things, imagine sitting down and, and actually imagining your, your future self a week from now, um, handing in that report, doing things right, or stressed out of their mind, <laughs> trying to, try to get it done. <laughs> right. And anything to close that gap. We, we've actually done a little preliminary um, research to suggest it doesn't matter whether you imagine your future self failing or succeeding. The fact is that you can connect with that future self will make it more real, uh, that deadline and make it more real for you that, yeah, I actually, 
you know, this is important to me. So that, in some ways that can create a sense of meaning because you can see yourself actually finishing the task and what that means to you. So there, ha- there has some connection there. So there, there has been some research suggesting these sorts of imagery and connecting with the future self um, can reduce procrastination. Um, and as, as I, you know, sort of mentioned at the beginning too, just, you know, being more self-compassionate too, right? Just recognizing that, you know, you're, you're not the first person to procrastinate, nor will you be the last, right? There's nothing special about you. It's a, you, you know, it's a very human problem. Everyone has done it at some point or another. There's probably very few people on the planet that have never procrastinated, but most of us have. So, you know, it doesn't make it okay. It just means that you don't need to, you know, berate yourself to such an extent that it's, you know, you can't get on with things. Fine. You need to step back from it and just say, okay, right. I'm not happy that I procrastinated, but I can, I can get going with things right now and I can make a difference. You know, the easiest way to reduce task uncertainty is to get the information you need before you start. Um, and that, that can certainly, in a lot of instances, just bring down that, that level of anxiety enough to where you can go, right. Okay. I can get on with this now. Why can people, uh, well, why do they, procrastinate over the smallest of tasks ah yes (laughs) it doesn't have to be a big task does it it can be a small one um i I think sometimes you know there there is that that small tasks and sometimes it can be representative of something larger so it's it's sometimes it's the meaning we put into that small task if i don't do this one little thing if i don't answer that email just the right way i'll make the wrong impression right um, or I'll say the wrong thing and get in trouble or so we can read a lot more into these small tasks, um, than, you know, what is necessarily there. We can make sort of the mountains out of the molehills and then we can get, we can kind of overthink them and get a lot of anxiety around them. Problem is that we, our ability to use that emotional crystal ball is actually quite poor, right? So a lot of, a lot of studies have shown this, that we overamplify. We actually think that we're going to feel a lot worse about things or that people are going to react a lot worse towards us on things than what they actually do. Um, and then we also think that those feelings that we'll have you know, in that situation, say we're having to deliver bad news or something, are going are to last longer. Right? It's called a durability bias, that there's going to be those negative feelings are going to persist, that person isn't going to like us for a while or is going to be angry with us or will be angry with ourselves. Um, and none of these things are actually true because when we imagine our feelings into the future, we don't take into account the coping strategies that we have. Finally, uh, what's the worst common piece of advice uh, that you hear about fighting procrastination? The worst advice. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Well, I, I, I go back to the myths there. I think a lot of people think that it's just about laziness, right? Like if you're procrastinating, you're lazy, and that's so self-damaging. So if you te- if you're telling yourself that, you're just you're actually just setting yourself up to procrastinate more. And if you're telling somebody else that they're lazy when they're procrastinating, you're kind of going to guarantee that they're going to continue to do it. Um, so I think those those sorts of th- uh, advice, anything that feeds into negative feelings around the procrastination, you're lazy, you don't know how to manage your time, uh, you know, time management, it's not good. You, you can manage all your time, but you, you get really good at procrastinating, right? Filling out a detailed diary of what you're going to do <laughs> every day. And that, that can actually be another form of procrastination in the end as well, too. Um, yeah, so I think I think just any sort of negative, you know, thoughts or, or criticisms that you'd have of yourself of other people for procrastinating is is going to 
be bad advice. It's actually going to feed the problem rather than um, uh, solve it. Well, brilliant. Um, well, thank you very much for all, all the good advice you've given us about procrastination. And hopefully we'll speak to you again soon. Okay, well, thanks. It was great chatting with you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Instant Genius. That was Dr. Fusha Saroy. If you want to hear more from her, speaking about the science of self-compassion, head over to the Instant Genius Extra podcast right now. If you've enjoyed this episode, please do leave a review wherever you're listening. Thank you.